you are now about to experience the Revive Effect. I'm your host, Matt Celestio, and if you want to learn to master your mind, get the body you want, and create the life you've always wanted to live, you are in the right place. At Revive, my mission is to create a better way of living for our generation by challenging the current ways we live every day. And in each episode, I bring you a radically different approach to fat loss, a fresh perspective on life, and a new way of living to help you get to where you truly want to be in life. So kick back and let's jump into it. Welcome to The Revive Effect. Our generation thinks that carbs are the reason for them being overweight. Constantly we're hearing, you know, I need to cut my carbs from my diet. You know, I need to track everything. I need to make sure I'm hitting my macros and again, lowering that carb intake. And the biggest thing of all is everybody believes we need these good quality sources of protein for our meat to lose weight, right? Everybody and their mother on Instagram, high high protein, low calorie dish, high protein cookie, high protein dessert, high protein everything. And we really worship this macronutrient called protein and the reliance in the health and wellness industry, especially around weight loss, is focused on this reliance of animal protein, high animal protein, high meat diet and very low carb diet to get people results. Now, personally, being somebody who has been in gym culture for years, for years, I thought the exact same thing, right? I was getting my protein, I was eating my chicken, my pork, my steaks. Again, uh, I maybe didn't eat too, too many carbs, but again, I was really focused on that animal protein to, you know, get that muscle, get that muscle. That's what I was told. That's what I was taught to believe. But at the same time, I can distinctly remember at the time I was working in a kitchen, I was in my university days. There was days where I'm in the kitchen working and I'm almost falling asleep standing up. I felt so sluggish and tired even though, hey, you know what? I did have a decent amount of size on me. However, what was happening inside me in terms of my health and my even mental clarity and my energy, it was almost like it was out the window. Constantly fatigued, I was very irritable, tired all the time and working out, I'm not gonna lie, it it felt really heavy and hard because I felt like my body had to work so much harder um, because of this huge heavy reliance and animal-based diet that I was eating. Now, with that being said, when I was in that past place of working out and being in that gym culture, I saw a documentary that shined some light on health and weight loss and fitness, and it really offered me a new perspective around this constant notion that we need to be eating lots of animal protein to get big, lose weight, stay healthy. And this really launched me on the path to dig a little deeper around the information and advice that we hear all the time from government, from um, people that we know, from Instagram, from other social media outlets, from a lot of big companies promoting weight loss. It, It allowed me to dig a little deeper around this information and advice that we never stop to question, right? We always just say, you know what, that's what everybody else is doing, must be right, let me hop on the bandwagon. But when I, what I really discovered around this information that we hear all the time is that there's a big problem that goes so much deeper than what we're really taught to believe, especially around weight loss and most importantly around health, right? Weight loss is one thing, but health is a totally, completely other thing that we so often neglect to take into account when we're starting a weight loss journey, when we're starting to you know, eat healthier, when we really want to change our life so focused on that scale yet 
we're blind to the other factors that are really affecting our our life, our full, holistic, well-rounded life. Now, that's why today we are peeking behind the scenes into the corruption, greed, and disease of the weight loss industry. Now, let me tell you, I am so excited for this episode. I have been putting it together for almost three weeks now, finding all this research and making sure it flows well so it's easy to understand, easily digestible, Ah, pun intended, pun totally intended. But my intention is to really educate you that there is a better way to weight loss, a simpler, more enjoyable, sustainable, and healthy way, right? Weight loss goes so much deeper than what we've been taught to believe because this is about health. This is about your life. And I was actually having a conversation with my buddy Creighton, uh, who has been on this show a couple episodes back. I'll link his episode down below because he's so insightful. I love when he speaks. He's so intelligent. And he was saying, Matt, you know what? I'm listening to the stuff that you're putting out right now. Uh, podcasts, YouTube videos, blogs, you name it. And he says, it's almost as if you're not just weight loss. Revive is a place of education. It's illuminating the problem around things that people maybe aren't seeing, especially in the health and weight loss industry, the supplement industry, again, the medicine industry, big pharma, big food. You're really educating people that the way that they're taught to live may be a little broken and how there is a better way to do it. And I couldn't agree more with you, Creighton, man. That is really what hit home for me. And I really resonated with that message. So that's why my intention today is to present you with how diet and how the food that you eat every day truly affects every aspect of your life from your weight to your health to your mood and to your likelihood of disease right people always ask me you know why are you so passionate about food why do you always say you know eat better foods get away from this notion of animal protein and it's because these are a matter of life and death decisions right where every time you go into the grocery store it's a life or death decision because that food is either linked strongly correlated to disease or It is also strongly linked to reversing your disease, upgrading your health, making sure you live long and healthy and stick around for your kids. So that being said, what are we diving into today? How are we going to get you this information that you truly, truly deserve to have in your life from a reliable source that's not based on marketing and gimmicks and profits, right? We're here for health, here to make that change and create a better way of living for our generation. So that's why today, you and I, wow, we got such a good conversation coming up. We're going to look at first, can we really guarantee weight loss? And we're going to compare the low-carb, high-protein mindset versus plant-based eating. And we're going to look at which is truly better for weight loss. And, and we're going to touch on everything from carbs to fat and everything in between. Then we're going to dive into how what you eat every day has an effect on not just your weight, but your likelihood of disease and chronic health conditions. Again, weight loss goes so much deeper than just weight loss. I'm here to get you healthy, improve your life. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. And because this episode, I know I'm I'm gonna go really long. I know for a fact. Um, the third part, I'm actually gonna separate into a second episode. So you can find that literally wherever you're listening to this too, it's gonna be the next episode. And I'm probably gonna launch that about a week, two weeks after. So stay tuned for that. Because we're going to look at that second part where we're diving into the marketing gimmicks, lies, and misinformation of the food and health industry. And again, how that's affecting your health, your body, and your weight. Whoa, we got such a good episode. And let me just let me just remind you real quick. If you're enjoying this podcast at any point and you think this information would benefit somebody that you know and hold, who you hold so closely and truly to your life, send them this episode. Get them the information that you're getting right now so we can, again, spread our message 
and create this huge movement around creating a better way of living for our generation. Again, it goes a long way for me and everybody here at Revive. We appreciate the support. Everybody's been so supportive. Um, so again, yeah, check it out, share that. And you know what? Let's dive right into it because let's not waste any more time. Here we go. Let's get into it. Okay, I want you to imagine you're throwing a party. Friday night, you tell all the guests come into your house, we're gonna have a heater of an event. Now, before everybody comes, you send out a text saying, hey, do you want some pizza or do you want burgers tonight? Which one am I going to serve? Now, people respond, you get a 50-50 response. Half people want burgers, half the people want pizza. Now, you're saying to yourself, Oof, I'm not gonna buy both, that's way too much work. I'm just gonna serve the pizza tonight. Now, if you're somebody who is who said they wanted burgers, let's say 50% of those people, they show up to the house and you're not serving what they asked for, what they truly like, the guests are gonna leave. There's no way, I'm not sticking around here. I'm so hungry and they're not even gonna feed me what I need to thrive, what I need to enjoy myself tonight. Now think about all those memories you could have made with those new friends, all those new friends you actually could have made and that spectacular time at your party that you could have had with everybody there, but now you only have half the people there. So half your party is left and it's not all the fun and full of life and enjoyment that you're usually expecting at a Friday night bash. Now, what if I told you that you do the same thing every day to your own body? What would you say? How does that work? Matt, what are you getting at? I'm glad you asked. Let's get into it. Woo! Okay, you can tell I'm excited, eh? Okay, so, what I really wanna to touch on here, and especially in terms of weight loss, is your gut microbiome and the role that it plays in your health. I am so fascinated by this topic. It's becoming more mainstream, which I'm so grateful for because of the link that it, that it really plays towards your health, and more importantly, your weight loss. Your weight loss, are you kidding? Your gut has effects on your body. Wow, let's get into it, let me explain. Let's simplify the science so it's easy to understand. So everybody's heard about gut health. We're always talking about gut healthy foods, gut healthy habits, but what the heck is your gut? Now, very simply, it's actually called your gut microbiome and it's primarily made up of your small and large intestines, again, with so many other things, but that's primarily where the gut plays a crucial role. Now, what you need to understand about that gut, that little gastrointestinal tract you have down there, it's actually home to millions of bacteria bacteria you got so much bacteria down in your gut you have no idea what what is going on down there and how does it get down there because you know we're always washing our hands making sure our food is clean how the heck are we getting bacteria down there it's great it's a great question and it usually comes from the food we eat our environment the things we breathe in the things we ingest because think about it every time that you eat or swallow or drink something Where's that going first? Does it go to your leg? Does it go to your brain? Does it go to your heart? No, it goes to the gut. So ultimately, the gut is what's going to be able to call those shots and for the bacteria to say, oh, here's the first stop on the road. It looks pretty cozy. Let's set up shop. And that's exactly, well, very simply, how it, how it really works. So there's a lot of new research coming out around the bacteria in your gut and the direct influence over your body because essentially we're just a host for these bacteria in our intestines. And they really interact with the environment that we put in, AKA the food, the liquids, and anything we ingest. And 
how it how it communicates with our body. So listen to how crazy this is because the gut microbiome, again, very, very early in the research, is showing there's almost direct links towards its effect on our mood, our sleep, our immune function. It communicates directly with our brain. Are you kidding? Connects with the brain. It also looks at controlling our behaviors. It affects our sickness and disease. But most importantly, because we're in the section of the podcast, it really affects our weight. It really affects your weight. And this is where the next generation of weight loss and health is truly moving, right? I believe maybe 10 to 15 years, this information is going to be mainstream. Um, but for the time being right now, it's a very early topic that maybe some people are not even aware of yet, especially as frontline, you know, personal trainers, nutritionists, dietitians, they might not even be aware of this. So that's why any weight loss plan that's not really helping you optimize your gut for weight loss specifically is like telling you to hit the target with a bow and arrow and they forget to give you the arrow. Like how are you supposed to get the results you want if you're missing the piece of the puzzle? And that's why at Revive, we're always talking about this microbiome and it's truly a driver for change. And I've truly seen it work wonders in my clients and in my personal life as well when you just work to get it towards a healthier state. Anyways, I digress. That's what the microbiome is. So you know what? I actually did do an episode on what the actual microbiome is, a full episode. Uh, I will link that in the description wherever you're listening to this too. Go ahead, check that out if you want to dive in a little deeper. Again, very interesting episode. Anyways, back to our party example. You're serving pizza and burgers, but you're only serving one, right? 50% of your party is checking out. You only gave 50% of the food. Now, 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 now. Let's see how this plays out in the role of your gut bacteria. So that party example is just a quick analogy to say you are the you are the party. Um, what do you call that event? You are the place where the party is happening and your gut bacteria are the guests that came to the party with me so far. OK, let's keep going. Studies show that you can change the different types of bacteria in your gut in as little as one day one day and that's simply from eating certain foods that have different bacteria that bring it down either positively or negatively now listen to how crazy this is especially in terms of how powerful these microbes are for your weight scientists are actually able to see reports of people's gut microbiome they're able to say oh here's all the different classes of species and bacteria that we have down here in the gut and they are able to tell with accuracy if this person is overweight or not and here's the real kicker they're able to do this without ever seeing them in person they're able to predict with accuracy looking at the gut bacteria if this person is obese or if this person is lean this is unbelievable how is this happening and what you need to understand about how they're able to decipher this is there are two teams that are happening down in your gut and to keep things super simple just imagine it as the good guys and the bad guys so you have different ratios depending on the food that you feed them. So you can either always eat foods that support the bad guys, or you can always eat foods that support the good guys. And it's, um, it's I want to say it's as simple as that, but again, that's one of the core fundamentals about how to shape your gut microbiome. So you have different ratios depending on what you feed them. So if you're feeding bad foods, you're supporting the bad guys. If you're support, or if you're eating good foods, you're supporting the good guys. So just like serving only pizza at your party, 
your guests are going to leave. The guests that wanted burgers are saying, this place is not for us. They don't serve what we want. They don't care about us. Let's check out. Let's go to McDonald's, grab a burger. They're not getting what they want. So this is essentially, if you're eating bad foods all the time, you're only serving the pizza guests. You're not serving the good guests who need that good fiber, those veggies, those beans, those legumes, that if you don't feed them for so long, you can actually starve them out of your gut. You can actually starve the species and make them extinct. And this is where it really gets to be a problem because now you have different ratios of good and bad bacteria. And it's usually typical that somebody who is overweight or obese, they have more bad bacteria than good bacteria. And for lean people, it's the exact opposite. They tend to have more good bacteria compared to bad bacteria. So just to really hammer this point home for you, I want you to remember this saying that an old boss of mine told me, and it applies so well to our gut microbiome example and the two teams we have down there. People go where they're welcomed, but they stay where they're valued. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's so beautiful. You need to nourish and show the gut bacteria, those good microbes that you have down there, that you care about them. You're so thankful for everything they do for you. And we're going to feed them the foods and the tools that they need to make your body melt off the weight, improve your health, improve your mood, improve your sleep. And it's as simple as what you're putting on your plate every night at dinner. Now, I want to dive into a little more clarity and granularity at just how powerful these microbes are. And I want to reference a study where they actually took identical twins. All right, they took identical twins who, okay, first of all, let's just state this. The genes are the exact same. They are identical twins. So if everybody's thinking, you know, genetics are your fate, calories, 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 that's everybody needs to be counting these calories. This study makes you think twice. So the thing you need to know about these two twins is that one was actually obese and one twin was lean. So like we just spoke about, remember how we have two different teams of bacteria down there, some good guys and bad guys, and how if you're more overweight, you have more bad guys than good guys. And if you're lean, you have more good guys than bad guys. So the, the scientists wanted to see just how powerful the effect these microbes would have if you actually extracted the gut bacteria from both twins and then injected them into mice. So that's exactly what they did. They took the bad bacteria from the obese twin and injected it into one group of mice. And then they, they took the bacteria from the lean twin and then injected it into a separate group of mice. Now, everything we're taught about calories, right? These scientists gave the mice the exact same amount of calories, exact same amount. Now, theoretically, based on everything we know from weight loss industry and influencers and all these big weight loss companies, Count your calories, count your points, you'll lose weight. The study shows entirely different results. Same amount of calories. And the group that was actually injected with the obese twins bacteria ended up gaining more weight compared to the lean mice. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? No wonder you're feeling so stuck, even though you're counting your points, counting your calories, counting your carbs, all this other marketing gimmicky stuff. Meanwhile, there's more influential factors, especially your gut microbiome that is calling the shots and truly, truly calling um, or deciding what they want to do with that food down there. So how does this happen though? How come one twin is eating the same amount of calories as the other, but one's gaining and one's losing? And essentially, very simply as well, the bad microbes are actually more efficient at absorbing calories from the food. So if you were to eat, this is called the thermic effect of food as well, is... When you're eating 
let's say 100 calories of sweet potato, right? Your, the thermic effect of food means you'll actually only absorb about 75, let's say 75. But if you have more bad bacteria down there, you might actually absorb 90. You might absorb 90. So you're actually eating 15 more calories just alone from that sweet potato compared to the lean person who is absorbing less calories. And again, this is a very simple example. Don't quote me on this, but this is essentially how this process works. So think about this over, you know, a 12 week span, right? If you're saving, you know, 15 calories here, 40 calories here, 20 calories here over time, that's going to add up to pounds, pounds at a time, which is why somebody can have success on one diet counting the exact same amount of calories while the other person either has less success or no success. Again, microbiome, this is truly a powerful driver for weight loss and for health. All right, if you're looking to slim down, you could be making these five fatal fat loss mistakes. And with everybody out there, they're always talking about low carb this, keto that, our cardio sessions. With so much information, it can feel next to impossible to just know where to start. You might be even thinking, you know, these plans just don't work for you. But let me tell you this, that you are not alone. And now let me ask you this. How come when some people who start eating healthier, they slim down while others stay the same or even pack on pounds? You know, why is that? And after working with countless people who have started quote unquote eating healthier, I've found five of the most common and fatal slim down traps that make it much harder for you to get results. And they're traps and mistakes that you could unknowingly be making right now, which is stumping your slim down results. Now, because I don't want to see you struggle anymore, and because you're an avid listener of the Revive Effect, I've created a free slim down mistakes guide that you can access right now so you can discover which mistakes you're making maybe right now and exactly how to fix them. Now, do you really want to keep spinning your wheels endlessly stuck in quick fix culture? Or do you want to start making the changes that get you the results you want? Results that you're happy to look in the mirror at. And most importantly, results that last your lifetime. So click that link in the show notes below and don't miss your chance to grab your free five fatal fat loss traps ebook and get going today. So, how do you feed your good bacteria so they overpopulate the bad? How can you shift your microbiome into a more beneficial state? Again, great question. Now, this is truly this is truly awesome because as consumers, we're always looking to big pharma, we're always looking towards government, say, hey, we need help, I need this, I, I got this problem, I need you to help me with this. But if we really wanna shift our microbiome, we hold the power to do that. We are so empowered because the food that we eat, the choices we make in the grocery store, the choices that we make in the kitchen can either upgrade our microbiome in one day, like we said, or it can either deteriorate it, but we hold the power to ultimately make those decisions that get us those results we want. Now, with that being said, does every food do this? No, there are certain foods that can certainly help this, but there's also certain foods that absolutely hurt this. Now, Here's where we get really into it, all right? I want you to listen up real, real close. Time and time again, paper after paper and nutrition book after nutrition book that I have read. I can't tell you how many pages. It's actually disgusting how many pages I've read. But do you know 
what all the foods that support your gut have in common across this entire breadth, breadth and depth of research. The one thing that the foods that support your gut have in common is the fact that they are all plants. They're all plants. Never do I hear in any study, any book, you need to eat more beef because it's good for your microbiome. Never do I hear, oh, you know, you need to have some chicken breast. It's good for your microbiome. Heck no, I've never heard that. Even if I have heard it, the study has been horribly designed. And you can almost tell that it's been funded by certain companies that really want you to just eat more meat because they have a bottom line to get and they need to increase their profits. So they actually fund these studies. Again, part two of this podcast, you're going to get right into that. And it's going to explain why that actually happens. But again, back to this notion that the foods that support your gut are plants. I'll give you one example and one really, really powerful example. And it's fiber. Fiber is something that your gut loves. You remember when Justin Bieber first came out, he got big. Remember when we were in, I don't know, what was that grade? six maybe seven we were young do you remember how much girls loved him us guys couldn't even compete on the recess playground because they loved him so much they would cry when he came on the stage posters everywhere justin bieber justin bieber that that my friends is how much your gut loves fiber Mm. and that's the other thing with plants too it's not just fiber the components that they absolutely love and does wonders for your body Plants also bring a vast and diverse amount of vitamins and minerals and antioxidants that, again, truly work wonders for your body, but most importantly is that fiber. So on that topic of fiber, and again, these are vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, how does this play out into the real world? Let's put this into some action. Let's look at some actual literature and science. And again, I'll keep it super interesting for you. I won't get too, too sciencey and boring like most schools would. Let's, let's actually get into it. Let's get cool science like Bill Nye. You know, everybody loved Bill Nye. Who didn't love Bill Nye? Uh, I'm not Bill Nye, but second. I'm a second close. Uh, close to second. Anyways, let's look at a review of Frontiers in Nutrition. So I'm going to read it verbatim from what they have found in the study, and then I'm going to simplify it into English so it's a little more easy to understand. So out of Frontiers in Nutrition, meat-based diets are typically low in fiber and not only for healthy intestinal function, but also for microbial production of beneficial colonic short-chain fatty acids, which enhance nutrient absorption, stimulate the release of satiety hormones, improve immune function, have anti-inflammatory effects, and anti-carcinogenic effects. Now, if you understood that, great. If you have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, here we go. Let's let's simplify this, okay? These are huge findings and very, very... This can make some noise, especially in terms of high-protein low ca- or low-carb dieting. Because when we're talking about meat-based, there's essentially no fiber in there. There's, a fen- there's essentially no antioxidants in there that truly, truly aid our gut microbiome and our microbes that we just spoke about. Now, one thing they just said right here was this, this production of short-chain fatty acids. Now this, this is the creme de la creme. This is exactly what you want your gut microbiome to produce. Because when they eat food, especially fiber, as a byproduct, they actually create this sort chain fatty acid that comes from digestion. So the same way like a factory gets raw materials, they'll produce a product and they usually have a byproduct. This is the exact same thing. Your gut will get some food, which is a raw material, the gut microbiome will do its manufacturing of, you know, extracting some nutrients, creating some proteins. And as a byproduct, they create these short chain fatty 
acids. And this is so huge because they have, number one is this anti-inflammatory effect. This can actually reduce that inflammation, that bloating, that puffiness feeling that you have. And I've actually seen some clients who just eat a lot more fiber. They're producing these short-chain fatty acids and this anti-inflammatory effect. They'll lose an inch on their waist in as little as one week. And they're not cutting calories, not counting carbs, not counting any of this. It's just doing what the body does best and you're nourishing your body with what it needs. Now, again, with this diet high in fiber, high in plant foods, it actually, here in the study, it says it increases the release of satiety hormones. Satiety is a fancy way of saying your body's saying it's full. Stop eating. You've already capped out. We're done. So this can truly work wonders if you have an overeating problem because so often might we might not be able to hear our body signals of that we're full and we overeat and then we feel guilty we feel gross we feel heavy fiber plants can help out with this Mm-mm. now the last one is the anti-carcinogenic effect and carcinogens are essentially things that cause cancer and again antioxidants fiber these short chain fatty acids everything that's produced is truly working wonders to minimize this cancer promoting effect and again that's going to have such huge implications for your health if you don't have that fiber or those anti-carcinogenic effects and again we're going to dive into cancer in the second uh, second part of this episode when we're talking about diet and disease now let's go a layer deeper in that same study they also said inadequate intake of these microbiota accessible carbohydrates found in plant cell walls also increases gut permeability what does this mean what does this mean so essentially you're, like we said, the pizza and burgers, you're starving some of your guests. You can actually starve your gut bacteria to the point where they go, we need to take a little chunk of your gut lining to eat. We need to eat that just to stay alive. It's their absolute last resort. They don't like doing it, but if they're starving, they will do it. Now, with this, with, what this does, it creates little tiny holes in your gut where toxins can escape, it can escape where inflammation can escape and where actual toxic proteins can escape. And now you have this full range of leaky gut syndrome where you have inflammation and toxins going all through your body. Your body is triggering your immune system to go fight it, stealing your energies. It's deteriorating your insides because you want things in your gut to stay in your gut. You don't want things going all around, exploring this and that and wreaking havoc everywhere in your body. If there was a problem in your gut, your body would send send the immune system to the gut capitalize on that, heal it, and then get it out of your body. But now you have the problem everywhere else in your body, and that's where your body's working extra hard to take care of that. And again, this is a result from lack of fiber and plant foods that truly support your gut bacteria where they need it and when they need it specifically. So on this topic now, over everything we went over, I think we can both agree this fiber is exceptionally important in the process of shifting our gut bacteria into a more beneficial state right? More good bacteria, the bacteria that keeps our bodies thin and lean and healthy. So with this being said, let's go back to this whole notion, this low carb, high protein diet and how it's supposed to be so quote unquote healthy and good for weight loss. You've just seen the effects that fiber can have on your gut microbiome and the good bacteria that keeps your bodies lean. Let's look at the fiber content of plant foods or the animal foods that influencers and weight loss plans, they always promote because it's high protein, low carb. So typically, I recommend about 30 to 40 grams a day for fiber for my clients. And sometimes I even eat double that. And I always recommend more to my clients because 
that's just the minimum. That is the minimum amount of fiber you need to have healthy function. And most Canadians get this, don't even get half of that amount every day. Every day, think about what this means for your health like we just spoke about. Your guests at your pizza party, how do you expect your gut buddies to lower inflammation, improve your immune function, help your weight loss, ease your digestion, or clean up your health if you're not giving them the foods they need to thrive? Think about that. Anyways, I digress. Let's go back to this notion. 30 to 40 grams a day, that is the absolute optimal amount that you need to get your gut in this healthy state that promotes weight loss. So it is so easy to hit. Let me put this into perspective for you so you can get an actual tangible understanding of this. Plant foods are so high in fiber, it's absolutely ridiculous, okay? One cup of navy beans has 19 grams of fiber. One cup, that is absolutely nothing. You're at 19 grams of fiber. Let's go a layer deeper. Half, half an avocado, seven grams of fiber. Two tablespoons of chia seeds, that is 10 grams of fiber. We're already almost at 40 grams of fiber and you can see this is not a lot of food. These are things you can easily sprinkle into your daily meals, get that fiber intake up, and again, get that gut in the more beneficial state that we just spoke about. So now let's go down the traditional and conventional low carb, high protein approach to weight loss that everyone and their mother is shoveling down your throat especially in terms of fiber. We're talking about fiber right now. So let's say you ate some Greek yogurt for breakfast, you had some chicken breast for lunch, and you had a tuna salad for dinner, right? You had good quality protein all day. You had low carb all day. You stuck with it. But how many grams of fiber did you get? How many grams of fiber that your gut needs to promote your weight loss to improve your health? How many grams of fiber did you get in this day? The answer, zero. You got zero grams of fiber and you ate all day long. And that's the thing, fiber doesn't exist in animal foods. You can only get fiber from plants, from plant foods. So stop here and think for a second. On this, on this point alone, the nutrients that your gut loves and needs the most, the nutrients that helps your gut get healthy so it can reduce your chronic inflammation, lower your risk for disease, improve your sleep, aid your anxiety, and help all that extra weight that you're carrying fly off, these nutrients are only available in plants, in plants. Okay, right here, ask yourself, based on what we just spoke about and the point we just went over, what diet do you really think we are supposed to be eating for our health to make us feel lighter, more energized, and more youthful? Is it low-carb, high-protein diets, or is it fiber-rich, vitamin-packed, antioxidant-potent plant foods? I think you can make the decision here yourself. You're a smart person. You understand what we just went over. And that's the other thing with these uh, low-carb, high-protein fad diets. They're not sustainable or healthy in the long run. How many people do you know who found success using a diet or meal plan like this and have gained all the way back? Or if they haven't done that, are they on the path towards gaining it back? Think about that for a second. How do you, who in your life has actually represented what we just spoke about and is now on the path towards where they just first started? So let's dive into another study because I really want to show you the effect on plants versus animals and its impact in your weight loss. So a journal out of the Food and Nutrition Sciences, they collected stats from 170 countries. Okay, They compared total availability of each country, sugar, starch, fiber, fats, fruits, and meat intake. They took all of these food groups into account. And not only this, they actually... They actually put in and took into account the physical inactivity of these people. And they actually took in the total calorie consumption of all these people across 170, 170 countries. 
the 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 results that they found get this meat consumption was one of the most correlated things with obesity independently of all of these other factors right we're talking about sugar we're talking about inactivity we're talking about calories and the one thing that's standing out time and time again in the study across 170 countries multiple population different genetics all these different things meat consumption is correlated strongest with obesity are you kidding me come on now again that's the real world but i also sometimes like to put in a little bit of my personal stories to give you a more intimate example so you can actually see that this really does work firsthand so let me ask you a question how powerful is this plant-based eating now let me tell you a story about my client carm shout out to carm now a typical weight loss program that you might try will usually tell you cut your calories track your macros exercise for an hour every day and you know buy our supplements to help speed things along they'll also tell you in doing all of this a really good week you should expect to see one to two pounds lost uh, typically, yeah, for those for those seven days, that's essentially doing all these things, all this hard work. Now with CARM and what we do a lot with our clients here at Revive, I told her no dieting. We're not going to diet. We're not going to count calories. We're not going to count points or track anything. Okay, there's going to be no supplements at all. And best of all, because she's sedentary doing office work all day and it was her busy time of the year, we said, you know what? We're not going to exercise right now. We're just going to focus on the food. Now, is plant-based eating a, a really big, important part of the Revive Effect, our weight loss program? Yes, it is. And there's a reason why, again, like we just spoke about. But like the traditional route, just a reminder, you're, you're typical to ex expect to see one to two pounds weight loss per week. Okay, you're, And again, when you're doing that, you're tracking your calories, tracking your macros, exercising, you're doing supplements, one to two pounds a week. Carm, we did the exact opposite. We said, screw that. We're not doing the conventional approach. And in 10 days... Do you understand what she lost, what she achieved? In 10 days, she lost five pounds. She lost five pounds in 10 days. Let's get even more, more success. She lost two inches off her waist, two inches off her hips. She didn't count calories, no dieting. She did not do low carb. I can guarantee you that. And she did not do high, high animal protein like we're all talking about. So we ate a diet in, in direct contradiction to everything you're told and yet she got better results she felt satisfied and she did not feel stressed out tracking everything and again she didn't exercise she didn't even exercise now of course she was working with all keys of the revive effect but i believe because we shifted her in towards a plant-based eating uh, focus i believe this was the biggest punch to her results and we're so brainwashed as a culture to think low carb low calorie high protein that when I posted the, her success on Instagram, there was this troll, I love trolls so much, they actually kept coming to me telling my program is a scam when I posted her results. She goes, there's no way you're doing this. Here's the calories that she should have been eating. Here's what she should have been losing. She goes, he goes, you're lying. I go, man, it took me so much effort to not respond and yell at this guy, but I was mature, I was a bigger man. I just said, now, our program is based on real science and research and clinical trials from peer-reviewed journals recognized around the world. This is where the next generation of weight loss is going, and I've truly seen the effects of how it really helped my client, Carm, especially in a day and age where we're all so bombarded with marketing gimmicks that leave us, you know, spinning our wheels. And it's not just another quick-fix diet or a quick-fix fad. 
based on broken and ancient weight loss tactics, again, that leave you spinning your wheels, bouncing from diet plan to diet plan, emptying their hard-earned bank accounts, and leaving them even more frustrated and hopeless and powerless with their weight from when they started. Now, that's why I truly believe revive the Revive Effect, that's the next generation of weight loss, the next generation of living, and incorporating a big focus on weight loss promoting plant foods, it's a huge component of that. It, is, it really is. Now, I say weight loss because we just went over how powerful it is for life success, but I say living because these high animal protein diets affect so much other areas of our life, so much other areas of our life, and we're going to look at just because we think somebody is jacked or slim, you know, we, we usually assume they're healthy, right? Oh, man, they got some good muscles. Oh, he's so healthy. Oh, she's so thin. Oh, my gosh, she's so healthy. I wish. But the body could be showing one thing, but the inside is a completely different story, right? We're always so we only see the outside, but very rarely do we actually look inside and see how our body is playing out, what our body is doing with the foods we're feeding it. And there's a big correlation, and we're going to go over it in the second part of this podcast, about how high meat diets are truly linked to poor health conditions. And I wrote an entire blog on this, and I'll link it in the description below, wherever you're listening to this too. So you can go ahead, check that out, read it, and understand how the link to high animal protein, high animal fat diets is truly contributing to IBS, constipation, nutritional deficiencies. There's even some aspects of mental health in there. So again, this goes so much deeper than health, like what we've been taught to believe. Now, I personally live both sides of the spectrum. Okay, I have been eating high meat, high animal protein, high animal fat, get big in the gym. But now I've also embodied a vegan lifestyle for the last, I'd probably say about two years. And let me tell you, again, this isn't based on science. This is my personal opinion right now. So take this in, take this with a grain of salt. I have felt such a drastic improvement in my mood, in my sleep, in my energy, in every area of my life. And it's truly because, again, my gut microbiome, I'm working to optimize it every day. I'm eating foods that promote health and longevity rather than clog my arteries or make me feel so much tired and sluggish because of the huge fat caloric content that comes with it. So with that being said, I know a lot of you are asking yourself right now, okay, Matt, if I cut back on my meat though, like, like you have, I'm going to have to eat carbs. I can't do that. Don't carbs make us fat? I'm glad you asked because this is one of the biggest misconceptions of the diet industry. Everybody's focused on this low carb, low carb, low carb, because they're so scared that you're going to gain weight. But like I spoke about with Carmen, right? She lost five pounds in 10 days, two inches off her waist, two inches off her hips. I think her diet was probably around 70 to 80% carbohydrates. She ate 70 to 80% carbs, and yet she's losing this vast amount of weight. What's going on here? How come everybody's saying no? Well, meanwhile, you're seeing it firsthand in my clients. Yes, this is working, and it's working well. Why? What's going on here? And there's this notion that we think all carbs are the same, right? Carbs are carbs, and that's it. But I want to illuminate you saying there's things called real carbs, complex carbs, and fake carbs, which are very simple carbohydrates. So things like fake carbs or, you know, very simple carbohydrates, that's your white flours, that's your sugars, your candies, your chocolates. And these are the, these are the things that truly contribute to obesity because of the huge sugar intake. And especially when they're white carbs, they, again, I won't get too sciencey, it actually spikes your insulin which is your fat storing hormone, so much more or very equivalent to actual sugar, table sugar. 
So there's no wonder that if you're eating chips and or chips, candies and sodas and chocolates and white bread all the time, white pastas all the time, again, stripped of their nutrients as well, that's, that's going to be a problem for your weight. However, let's look into real carbs, which is your beans, your legumes, your whole grains, your veggies. These are some of the best things that you can do for your body. And again, usually a lot of the times with complex carbohydrates, you get that beautiful one-two punch with an extra little fiber that we talked about is so good for your microbiome and again, for your health. Now, okay, let's put this into the real world. Okay, I don't like just telling you things just and you take my word for it. I'd like to show you some of the science behind it so you actually are educated about how this process works and how actually this is being proven time and time again in actual science. So there was a metabolic ward study that came out of Nature Medicine, the journal Nature Medicine. Now, essentially what a metabolic ward is, is they take people into these places and they have total control over their nutrition for the time of the study. So they're giving them their breakfast, their lunch, and their dinner, and these people cannot eat anything other than what the scientists give them. And this is really great because it allows total control over nutrition studies so you can truly see the effect and the transparency that comes with it, right? People might have lied before if they're eating certain foods and they're leaving the facilities and it comes back and then it misconstrues the data. But now they're getting total control over their uh, their study study participants intake of food. So what happened in the study? Let's look at it. Two groups. Of course, there's always got to be two groups. And what they did was they put one group on an animal-based ketogenic diet, which is low carb, high animal food, typical to what the weight loss industry is promoting right now and typical to what we eat here in the Western world. Now, the second group was put on a plant-based diet, lower fat, higher carb. Okay. So you got two groups right now and the the scientists told them you can eat ad libitum for two weeks on one diet and then we're going to switch you over. And ad libitum is fancy terminology for saying you can eat as much food as you want while you're in this study. Don't count calories. Don't worry about portions. Eat until you're full, which is really cool. It's what we really want. That's a very sustainable approach. Now, how did the results turn out? And very shockingly, the keto group actually lost about 1.5 pounds more as the average compared to the plant-based group. Whoa, Matt, okay, you're telling me all these good benefits of plant-based dieting and you know, keto is bad, high protein is bad, yet you're telling me a study right now that people are losing more weight on the keto diet or on the high protein diet. Yes, but like we said, we're so, we usually equate being slim and jacked with being healthy. What's happening on the inside right now is a completely different story. And what you need to understand is there's a concept of weight loss and there's a concept of fat loss. Fat loss is what you truly want to lose. That is the body fat, that deeply embedded abdominal fat that is bad for your health and is truly causing you that stubborn weight problem that you're having. Weight loss, however, can result from anything that is weight, water weight, that can be protein, so that could be your muscle, and it could be just a little bit of glycogen, which is that little, little accessible carbohydrates that are on your muscles at any given time. So weight loss is not typically fat loss. Fat loss is what you want to lose. Okay, so now you have that piece of information. And that's why when they looked at the insides of the people who were on this high protein diet within this study, they lost weight. They lost water and hard earned muscle. They did not lose fat. Remember, fat's what you want to lose. Okay, but how come how come they're losing muscle and they're losing water weight and their body's not burning the fat? Theoretically, it should burn the fat, right? 
And that's where the topic of this gluconeogenesis comes in. And again, I don't want to stress you out with sciencey terminology, but your body needs glucose and certain cells need glucose, which come from carbohydrates. And if you're not giving your body these carbohydrates, you're essentially starving these cells that really need that glucose to fuel. So your body will do this little one-two shimmy, this little one-two step, and they'll actually take some of the muscle that you have and convert it into glucose for that cell to be utilized. And that's where you actually lose muscle mass, aka weight, not fat. And that's where it looks like on the keto diet or on the high protein, low carb diet, you're losing weight, but you're not losing fat. And that's why I think, think for a second about people who are on a keto diet, high protein, low carb diet. Sometimes, almost a lot of the times they look skinny fat, right? They're very skinny, but their skin's a little droopy or they got just a little belly and not too much muscle on their frame. This could be a big component of that. Anyways, I digress. What about the plant-based group? How did this plant-based group turn out in the study? I'm going to read this right from the study. The plant-based group led to significant losses in body fat after both the first and second weeks. Sure, they lost less weight compared to the keto group, but again, they lost more fat. They lost more fat, which is what you want to lose. And again, much more sustainable over time. Now, a bonus, bonus to the study. Listen, when they told the participants to eat as much as you want, remember both groups were told, eat until you're full. People on the plant-based group, they actually ate 689 calories less than the keto, the people on the keto diet without counting calories, without restricting foods. They were still reporting hunger and satisfaction that was just beautiful. They go, I'm not full, I'm not too hungry, I'm just right. Yet they're eating 689 calories less. How is that for not counting calories? You're actually getting the one-two benefit punch and you're still feeling satiated and full. Mm-mm-mm. What a powerful study. Now, let's look at another one. Another metabolic ward study came out of cell metabolism. Listen, just listen to the title of it and you tell me what you think. Calorie for calorie, dietary fat restriction, aka plant-based, result in more body fat, more body fat loss than carbohydrate restriction in people with obesity. Yes, I pause for dramatic effect. Right there, man, it says it right in the title. And again, right from the actual pages of the study. In contrast to previous claims, this is what the scientists say. In contrast to previous claims about metabolic advantages of carbohydrate restriction enhancing body fat loss, our model and data and simulations support the opposite conclusion about comparing low-carb diets to plant-based dieting, saying there is so much more um, advantage to enhancing weight loss and fat loss opposite from what you're told every single day. And furthermore, this is, oof, this is, this, this is the creme de la creme of the study. Furthermore, we can definitively reject the claim that carbohydrate restriction is required for body fat loss. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy some bread. Please enjoy some pasta, some rice. Gosh, you deserve it. Again, white bread, white pasta, mm, maybe not so much. You can get that whole grain, a sourdough, the sprouted bread, some good whole grain brown rice. Get it in there. You deserve it. You've seen firsthand time and time again that this is where it's at. Mm-mm-mm. Now, here's the other thing with low carb before we wrap up this section. With low carbs, they really want to minimize this glucose burst, right? They don't want to have your body store all this extra glucose from the sugar that it produces. And now fruits and whole grains, which are carbs, 
these are the things that they believe really, really spike your insulin, making you store more fat. But when you're doing this, you're missing out on important minerals and vitamins and antioxidants. And again, like we said, those real carbs versus fake carbs that we mentioned above, you're missing those really, really good nutrients and beneficial things that come from eating those complex carbs, those fruits, those grains, those beans, those legumes, out of the fear that you're going to store more fat, yet we just went over how it's the exact opposite of that. And again, this puts us at nutritional, our risk for nutritional deficiencies. And when your body doesn't have the nutrients and vitamins it needs, that's where problems start to set in. That's where problems start to set in. So that could be areas of constipation. That's one of the biggest things, right? If you're not getting enough fiber and nutrients, you're eating just, you know, pastas and steak all day, pastas and chicken all day. You got no nutrients down there, no fiber that your gut needs to just push that, push that food along, push that waste along, make your digestion feel easier. Now, I want to read you words right out of one of my articles about the dangers of high animal protein and low carb dieting. Again, it's linked below. And this is this is really it really illuminates the problem for the next section, which is talking about diet and its relation to disease. Because in the health industry, this is from T. Colin Campbell, the distinctions between making a profit and promoting health have become blurred. Right? So often we're promote we're getting promoted supplements and low carb dieting and quick fix dieting because this is what gets the fastest quick fix results, right? That water weight, the marketing gimmicks that make people that make the people who are selling it more profitable, yet at a detrimental cost to your health. Now, right, you've heard low-carb, low, low high-protein diet is the holy grail to weight loss. Seen it on social media, blogs, and everything in between. But let me ask you a question. Are you getting your good quality protein and fats while staying away from carbs? And are you dealing with any of these things? Are you overweight? Do you have high cholesterol? Do you have hypertension? Are you dealing with constipation? How about diarrhea? Bad breath? IBS? Irritable bowel syndrome? Do you have acne that doesn't seem to be going away? Are you constantly fatigued? Do you have low energy? Is your brain constantly foggy? Does your doctor say you have a vitamin deficiency? Are you constantly bloated? Or even when you do eat any new food, your body swells up like a balloon. What's going on here? What is going on here? A lot of this is attributed to those nutritional deficiencies and this high protein, low carb diet that's missing those things that your body needs the most. Mm. Now, get this. This was what truly blew my mind. In Canada, we're here in Canada, we spend over $300 billion a year on healthcare. Heart disease is the number one cause of death over 10 years in a row. And yes, study after study shows a strong link between the higher amounts of animal foods in a diet and the higher risk of disease. Think about that. Think about that for a second. Now, if that's not enough for you, get this. Robert Atkins, the creator of the Atkins diet, very similar to the keto diet, or low-carb, high-protein diet, they're all very similar, just regurgitated differently. Guess what he ended up suffering from? A heart attack. He suffered from a heart attack eating a low-carb, high-protein diet that he was attributing to the hallmark of health. So don't you think it's time we stop making the mistake that looking slim is healthy? Don't you think that there's other factors that are contributing to your health? And how can you expect to deal with these health problems when you're not giving your body the nutrients it needs. And it's like sending, it's like sending troops into war without any guns or ammo. How do you expect them to fight off the illness, keep you healthy, keep your weight off and improve your health in ways when you're not giving your body the tools that it needs. And the answer to this lies in the next section of this podcast, which is how the food we eat goes so much deeper than just weight loss and its link 
to your diseases. Let's get into it. All right, it's one thing to lose weight, but it's an entirely different game when you lose weight and upgrade your health. Now, Revive goes so much deeper than just weight loss, and we're here to create that better way of living for our generation, changing the conversation around health, you know, getting out of that status quo. And that's why I put this section into today's podcast. When we are working with our clients, we are truly working to upgrade their health, improve their health span, their lifestyle, their energy. Weight loss just happens to be a byproduct of naturally living in a better frame of mind in a naturally more sustainable, enjoyable way. Now, that's why we're going to look at the effect of diet and disease and how you can actually improve your chances of health simply by your purchases at the grocery store. So a paper out of plus one, let's get right into it. Following populations over time, they looked at dietary trends and their patterns and the health outcomes and reported that excessive meat intake, especially red meat and processed meat, is associated with increased risk of morbidity, heart disease, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, and certain types of cancer. Mm, mm, Are you kidding me? Why is nobody telling you this information? Why do we let this sit on the back burner? Meanwhile, we are advocating, we are literally promoting these high protein diets. Again, the way we eat goes so much deeper than just weight loss. This is about health. This is about the lifespan of your parents, your friends, the quality of your life, your ability to stick around for your grandchildren. Right? How many people listening right now, how many people listening don't go out because of their IBS? How many people listening right here now can't take a number two properly? They go three or four days in between their number twos. How many people right now are dealing with diabetes? Listening right now. Food is at the foundation of all health, but also disease. Okay, so how does food affect your likelihood for disease and health problems? You know, how does this, how does this actually link? Isn't this all in the genetics? Now, the grandfather or the father of medicine, Hippocrates, said all diseases begin in the gut. And B.W. Richardson says, preserve and treat foods as you would your body, remembering that in time, food will be your body. I think that's a great intro to today because so often we... We don't believe or we don't think about how much our food is affecting us. Yet these truly inspirational people are saying there is a direct link to diet and and, uh, disease all the way back then. So like we said, your gut is your first line of defense when food enters. And like we said, we're, we're discovering more and more every day how much your gut has over your mood, sleep, immune function, your brain function, your behaviors, your weight. And most importantly, again, is your risk of illness and disease. Now, a lot of these mood disorders, the chronic IBS, obesity, this is what's caused by a term called intestinal dysbiosis. And that's just a fancy way of saying you have more bad bacteria than good bacteria down there. Like we spoke about in the beginning of this podcast when we're talking about how scientists are able to look at reports and say this person's overweight and this person's not without seeing them in person again is because of these two teams of bacteria. Now, there's two ways your gut can get thrown out of whack and get into the state of more bad guys than good guys. Number one is consuming too many poor quality foods, right? Those fast foods, the chips, those processed foods, those frozen foods that you're eating every day. These are not, these are not healthy foods. I think we all know this, but they truly have a negative impact on your gut microbiome every single time that you eat it. So that's number one is consuming too many poor quality foods. Number two is not consuming enough nutrient dense health promoting foods. 
We eat so many calories here in the Western world, yet we're so nutrient deprived. Let me say that again. We eat so many calories here in the Western world, yet we are so nutrient deprived. And the big reason for this is this reliance on animal foods and not incorporating enough plant foods, right? Those grains, the beans, the legumes, fruits, and veggies that have those antioxidants, those vitamins, those minerals, those fiber that we just spoke about and how great it is for your weight loss. Now, if you put beef head to head with beans and the nutrient and the nutrient makeup that embodies both of them, beans, then their nutrient makeup blows beef right out of the water every single nutrient calcium magnesium iron potassium so much more beans are sweeping the floor in terms of nutritional content now the only one for beef that beat the beans was vitamin b12 but again that's made by bacteria so animals are actually just the middleman for you getting that you can eat b12 fortified foods all the time on a plant-based diet and still have thriving amounts of b12 in your body so again that's just a simple example don't think you need to you know, factor all of these iron and potassium and magnesium in. If you're eating plant foods, you're on the right path right from the beginning. So it's really easy to see how our gut microbiome and our gut microbes and our body is starved for nutrients, like in beans, when we're just eating a low-carb, high-protein, high-animal foods diet. Very easy to see. Now, again, let's look at the power behind your gut microbiome, the food you feed it, and your chances of good health. A study in Nature Metabolism took 9,000 people 9,000 people. Do you know how many people that is? That's so many people. And they took it across the lifespan. They had participants from ages 18 to 101 across the lifespan. And they really wanted to find the link between gut bacteria diversity and health span. Now, I didn't say lifespan because sure, we can keep somebody alive till 101, but what if they're on pain meds and life support for the last 20 years of their life? Are they really truly living if they're just sitting inside taking pills and, you know, I've had people close in my family that have gone through this as well. So I've truly seen the negative effects of a long lifespan, but no health span. And it's heartbreaking to see, especially if these people are the people you hold so close to you, who've raised you, have been such a great part of your life. That's why my intention is to improve people's health span, get their families healthy, get them healthy so they can live out their days, not only in length, but with health and longevity and excitement and energy and all these other great things that come into it. Anyways, I digress. The study, 9,000 people, 18 to 101 years old, they found that greater gut microbiome diversity, again, due to more fiber, nutrient-rich foods, these participants had better immune function, meaning they were more likely to fight off illness and infections, they had less signs of inflammation, and they had a longer lifespan, simply because they had more beneficial bacteria in their gut. Now, participants with low gut microbiome diversity, again, due to less fiber, nutrient-rich foods, probably a lot more reliance on animal-based foods. Get this, they were more likely to die during the follow-up period of the study. More likely to die, are you kidding me? So like we spoke about, what we eat could affect someone's health in a really negative way, or what we eat can give our body and gut the fuel and ammo it needs to upgrade our health and weight to where we imagine it in our minds. So with this all in mind, Let's get specifically into the topic of animal-based foods and plant-based foods and their relation to these things. So here in the Western world, our main focus on our plates is meat. I can't tell you how many times I go to a restaurant and they have one plant-based option. It's tucked away in the corner of the menu and it's, it's usually not even that good. They just threw it together just to say, oh yeah, we offer plant-based options. 
we're so focused and meat is always the star of the show the drake the ariana grande of our plates yet if we're eating all this good quality meat we're eating all this protein and this low carb advice that we're getting why does it seem like we live in a generation of chronically ill diseased and overweight people so let's specifically get right into one of the biggest diseases that plagues the western world and that's cancer cancer i can't tell you how many how many people is this truly affecting I think everybody I know has known someone personally that has struggled from this disease and is getting to a point of ridiculousness when we know there's a link between diet and disease. So a lot of the times this comes into question, you know, isn't cancer all in the genes? Don't, you're just, you're just predisposed for this disease and there's nothing you can do about it, right? Not so fast. Let's think about this for a second. As humans, we all have a very similar genetic code. We're about 99% similar in the things that make up our genes. But listen to this. Cancer... Only 2 to 3% of cancer is attributed to genes. We know what's going on with that other 97%. Why is 97% affecting cancer? Now, this is the, this is so cool. This is the actual area of study called epigenetics, meaning you can affect how your genetics work either for the better or for the worse. And they can be turned on or off your genes by external factors every single day. So let me make this really, really simple for you. Imagine you're a coder and you're writing the code to a video game that you want to create. Now in the video game, you write the code. If, if the player presses A, the character in the game will go left. But if the player presses B, the character will go right in the video game. And that's exactly how epigenetics works. Your genes, you can either press A on the genes to turn them on, or you can press B to turn them off. And again, these are the external factors that allow you to press these buttons and make your genes do things that are beneficial or maybe won't help you out so much. So now you have that example. Let's see how this plays out in the real world. Now, past research shows that diet has the same effect on cancer risk as smoking, smoking. Oh, my goodness. Now, meat consumption in relation to cancer studies and its risk has been reported over and over and over again in a lot, a lot of studies and especially in epidemiological studies. Now, epidemiology is the area of studying populations over generations and years and hundreds of thousands of people to really see the patterns in their dietary changes and their changes in health. Now, I truly believe these types of studies are better because we're able to see these patterns over such a diverse study group over a really long time so we can really see a correlation. Now, a review at a PLOS One Medicine they found the more population or the more meat a population ate, their higher likelihood to develop colon cancer occurred. Colon in the gut, the colon in the gut, the more meat they ate, they had more chance of colon cancer. Now, is this because they're consuming more animal foods or is it just because they're lacking the protective effects of plant-based fiber rich foods? Let's put it to the test. And especially let's look at cancer right now. Again, there are three stages of cancer initiation, promotion, and progression. Initiation is where the cancer starts to form. Promotion is when it starts to grow and progression is when it starts to really spread. And that's where it gets to be a problem. Now, this whole process needs a spark to start the same way you need a spark to light a barbecue without that lighter meeting the propane, your grill won't start, right? It needs that, that start right there. And again, this is what we talked about. Those epigenetics, you press a or B. These are the things that turn on and off the genes. Just the same way that 
the barbecue lighter will start your grill. So the thing that really does this, one of the things that really turns your genes on and off, especially regarding cancer growth, is carcinogens, right? Carcinogens are the sparks that start cancer. They end up going into the cell's DNA, mutating it into a cancerous, cancerous cell, and then the second stage starts where it starts to grow. Now, things like meat, bacon, ham, sausage, they're known carcinogens. That charred stuff on your meat when you get it off the grill, that's also a carcinogen, FYI. But one of the areas I really want to dive into today is T. Colin Campbell. He is a world-renowned biochemist, and he dedicated his career to discovering this role that nutrition played in our health, especially in its relation to cancer as one of them. Now, he predicted that protein was one of the greatest promoters of cancer, so he decided to test this theory. Now, he conducted a study where he gave two groups of mice either a high dose of a carcinogen or a low dose. Now, remember, a carcinogen is that spark that starts the cancer process like your barbecue lighter. So he fed one group the high, high amounts of carcinogen, and then the other group he gave them low amounts of carcinogen. Now, listen to how crazy this is. He fed the group given the high amount of carcinogen, very low amounts of protein gave them low protein diet. Meanwhile, the group given the low dose of carcinogen were given high amounts of protein, lots and lots and lots of protein. Now he found that the group receiving just a small carcinogen, that cancer promoting carcinogen, and they were eating lots of protein, they had way more precancerous growth compared to the group eating the low protein. Listen, the low protein group was given more amounts of the cancer promoting carcinogen Yet, because they were eating less protein, they had less cancerous growth. Oh my God, are you kidding me? That is insane. Let's take it a layer deeper. Let's keep it going. With these findings, he goes, okay, there's something more to the picture here that we really need to dive in deep on. So he designed a more intricate study. And this time, both groups of mice received the same amount of cancer-promoting carcinogen, right? Your spark, your spark started, remember. So in this new study, he now wanted to see what would happen to the precancerous growth if he switched the groups back and forth from high protein to low protein to high protein to low protein. So on and off. Listen to this. Oh my goodness. Okay, so the mice fed high protein in week one. They saw, they saw a sharp increase in cancer growth. Week two, they switched them over to a low protein diet. Look what happens. There was a sharp decrease in growth. And here's the real icing on the cake. Week three, they switched them back to a high protein diet. They saw another increase in cancer growth. This study showed that they were able to turn precancerous growth, growths on and off like a light switch simply by giving the mice higher and lower amounts of protein. This is the epigenetics, the, 90, the missing 97% we spoke about. The same way you press A or B on your character to make it go left or right. These are the things that are influencing your risk for disease. Now for these studies, my man Colin Campbell, T. Colin Campbell, he was using animal protein to test it. Now this got Colin curious again, my man, he's always asking good questions. He goes, what about plant protein? Is it protein, all protein that does this, or is it just certain proteins that do it? So this time he ran the study again, but he used it using plant protein. And he found even at the highest levels of plant protein intake, they did not promote cancer growth at all. No promotion. Oh, wow. What a great finding. And that's why there is hope. There is hope for us, especially in the area of disease, because we hold 97% of the power. 
over control over what our genes in our body do, right? We can press A or B on our character to make them go left and right. In real foods, we can eat foods that either harm our body or switch the body into protection and health mode. And all of this can be simply controlled by what you fill your plate with every breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Okay, let's look at another disease that is truly plaguing the Western world, and this is diabetes. This is a disease so prevalent, it's it's actually, I don't want to say worrisome, but it is shocking to hear some of the numbers on this. So what we need to understand about diabetes is let's understand how food gets stored as fat in your body. So essentially, you eat food, it comes in, your body then quickly converts it into sugar, so that way your blood sugar will raise, and then your body will secrete insulin to go get that sugar and put it into your muscles and your cells to be used as energy, and then the cycle repeats. You get more food, convert to sugar, blood sugar rises, shuttle into your cells, shuttle into your muscles, burn that energy again, and go about your day. Very beautifully designed system. So now what you need to know, and you need to meet your hormone insulin, right? When that blood sugar raises, right? When your body converts it into sugar and that blood sugar raises, your body secretes insulin to go and gather up all that blood sugar, pull it out of your blood and put it into the muscles. Picture insulin like grabbing grabbing people out of the, the seats or the, the aisles of a movie theater and saying, you know what? Let's shuttle you guys right into the seats. You guys need to go right in there, right this way, right this way. Beautifully designed system. Now here's the problem. When we're constantly elevating our blood sugar to a point where it's really, really high, your body pumps out more insulin to go make up for that and shuttle more of that sugar into the cells, into the fat, into the muscles. But when it's constantly elevated, insulin's working overtime, right? There's so much insulin going around. Your pancreas is producing so much insulin to keep up with that demand of the constant blood sugar. And this is where the first little bit of diabetes really starts to take hold. Because like, like, let's, how do I say this nicely? Let's say you're talking to somebody, a girl or a guy, and they're constantly texting you. They're texting, 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 texting to the point where you're going, oh my gosh, does this person ever just leave me alone? I'm going to start ignoring their messages. That's what you do. I'm not answering this person right now. It's way too much attention. I'm not dealing with it right now. The body does the same thing and you can actually develop insulin resistance so insulin's out here knocking on everybody's door. It's knocking on the muscle door saying, hey, can you take some of this blood sugar in? Muscle's ignoring it. They're knocking on other cell doors. Hey, hey, cells, can you take some of this uh, blood sugar in? Nobody's answering. So your body or your pancreas thinks, okay, maybe we need some more insulin to make sure they can hear us more. So let me produce more and more and more. Now you're pumping out more insulin. Nobody's taking this sugar in and now you're having this elevated blood sugar. And here's the thing, your body can't handle high blood sugar. It's dangerous to the body. It's almost life or death situation. So again, your body's not dumb. It's got a safety net. So if insulin's knocking on all these muscles and all these cells doors, nobody's taking them, they got a safety net. And that, that is called your fat cells. Your fat cells will take any blood sugar regardless. Yeah, we got room, bring them in. No problem, no problem, no problem. And now instead of that energy or that blood sugar being used to build your muscle, to move your body, to increase cell production, it's now getting stored as fat. And that, that is where it gets to be a problem. And now this is where diabetes starts to set in, right? You have this constant elevation of blood sugar. You're pumping out all this insulin, trying to get that blood sugar out. 
And meanwhile, you're just storing it as fat because your body is not responsive to insulin. Mm, you see the problem. So now you know how diabetes works and how it can actually start to start to happen. What is truly causing this problem with diabetes? What is truly sparking this insulin resistance and this pre-diabetic state? And a lot of people think carbs because sugar, right? Your body's elevating its blood sugar. Let's eat the foods that don't spike blood sugar, aka carbs. Let's just go low carb. Let's peek into the real world. I love peeking into the real world. Let's do it. Diabetes, listen to this, are more common in different parts of the world. They're more common in different parts of the world. Now, they actually look at these different parts of the world and they compare the country's fat intake of animal foods versus carb intake, you know, plant foods, right? Everybody's saying low carb, get rid of your diabetes, go low carb. The countries with almost 90% of their calories from carbs had the lowest rates of diabetes. Now, countries with the least amount of carbs, they had the highest rate of diabetes. Are you kidding me? More animal foods and fat? more diabetes, more plant foods, less diabetes. What's going on here? This is so powerful. The foods we eat every day, again, in direct contradiction to what we're told to solve our diseases are the, are the real solution. So a lot of people with diabetes, they're told this is lifelong. You're going to be on diabetes, diabetes lowering medication or blood sugar uh, lowering medication for the rest of your life because this is just an illness that you have just adopted and there's nothing we can do about it. Not so fast. <clears throat> Plant-based diets are actually shown to reduce and manage and even reverse type 2 diabetes sometimes in as little as 30 days. 30 days, that is absolutely incredible, right? People are told they're given a death sentence to diabetes. There's nothing they can do about it. Meanwhile, with the study before, we're looking at different parts of the world eating more carbs, more carbs, better plant foods. Again, that, that plant foods, again, they have lower rates of diabetes, right? When you're giving your body the foods and nutrients it needs to do its job properly, it will do it, providing you get out of the way and let it do its thing. And that's why we're so reliant on big pharma. We're so reliant on these low-carb, high-protein diets that everybody's preaching, 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 yet there's a better way to do it. Plant-based dieting is the best. I love it. And we're, again, going over all the information today to just kind of reiterate that, hammer that point home for you every single day. Now, if you don't think diabetes, or if you think diabetes still is not that big of a problem, listen to this stat because it will shock you. Six million Canadians alone have been diagnosed with diabetes. Keyword in there is diagnosed. So many people are pre-diabetic and they don't even know it yet. So when you factor these people into the mix, it's actually 12 million people who have diabetes total in Canada. Now let's peek over to our neighbors in the USA, right next door. 37 million people have diabetes. 37 million people. Now, when we're looking at the Western world, right? Us Canada and America, one of the bigger contributors to this Western world. What's one thing we share in common? It's our diet. We eat vast amounts of animal protein, our heavy reliance on dairy, very little plant foods, yet we're all getting diagnosed with these, or a lot of people are getting diagnosed with these diseases that are so preventative. And it's, again, as simple as what you put on your plate every single night. Food and weight loss go so much deeper. This is about health. This is about health. Now, I want to dive into one of the other big ones, which is cholesterol and heart disease. Because this, this is the number one killer 
in the world. And this is such a big problem. And that's why I really wanted to touch on this and especially in its relation to plant-based dieting and animal-based dieting. Just to give you a perspective, COVID, I don't know if you guys knew this, we had a pandemic in the world. Uh, it lasted about a couple of years. If you missed it, um, you're lucky. Most of us, most of us lived through it. So let's talk about COVID. In its first year, COVID took 2 million lives. We lived through it and my heart goes out to all the families that suffered during. I send my love and light and good energy to your family and relatives. And I really bring COVID into the light because we saw it affect people we loved the most, the closest people to us, right? And think back to every precaution the government took to protect us. We had curfews, social distancing, they closed down airports. Businesses were absolutely fined if they stayed open for the day. Literal countries became ghost towns to keep us safe. The government was so concerned with our health and well-being. Oh my, so powerful. Thank you so much, government. But we're on this topic of health and well-being. Let's talk about the number one killer in the world, which is heart disease. Again, 10 years in a row, number one killer. COVID took 2 million lives in its first year as a reminder. Yet heart disease takes 9 million every year, and that number continues to grow over the last decade. When COVID hit... Governments hopped right on a solution right away. Within a matter of months, the entire world was working together to kill this virus. So let me ask you this. Heart disease has been the number one killer 10 years in a row. Why hasn't the government been focused on that? Why hasn't the government been focused on that? Think about that. So in relation to heart disease, why do animal foods really contribute to this? Why is there a big link between animal foods and heart disease? And one of the biggest things is cholesterol. Cholesterol when you have high cholesterol, it's one of the greatest predictors for any amounts of disease. And with this animal-based dieting, aside from the cholesterol, it well, actually it kind of uses cholesterol at the same time to build plaque in your arteries, the things that are carrying your blood to and from your organs, to your heart, to your brain. And it makes this plaque buildup, making it difficult for your blood to, throw, to, to flow through your arteries. So young people, you think you're fine. Oh, no, I feel great. I work out. I run. I eat my protein. I'm freaking solid. Let me remind you, this is a disease that builds up over a lifetime. It builds up slowly and incrementally. And then out of nowhere, boom, it hits you in your 50s and 60s, which is young. It's very young. Meanwhile, there's a preventative way to get rid of this. Now, again, looking at this aspect of cholesterol, cholesterol there's lots and lots and lots of cholesterol in various amounts of animal-based foods. And that's why people who eat a lot of meat, the first thing the doctor says when they got high cholesterol, get off that meat. There's way too much cholesterol in it. And again, this goes over all animal products. But on this topic of cholesterol and plant-based dieting, how much cholesterol is found in plant-based foods? And that answer is zero. You can only get cholesterol in animal-based products. Mm, this is why plant-based diets are actually shown to reverse heart disease. They're shown to reverse heart disease. Meanwhile, just like diabetes, when people go in for high cholesterol or heart disease, they are put on cholesterol-lowering pills for the rest of their life. Sorry, nothing we can do about it. I'll write you a prescription. It's gonna cost you X amount. See me every month and to get your refill. And that's the, that's the best our medical system is doing to help protect us. Now, with that in mind, when you say you're going to cut out meat and shift towards more of a plant-based eating to solve this problem, people are saying, whoa, man, that's too drastic. What are you doing? There's no way you're going to be able to do that. There's no need. Don't do that. But let me tell you this. If you're willing to eat foods that risk your chance of developing heart disease and risk your chance of needing to cut open your heart for a bypass surgery instead of eating more plants, 
you really need to think about how you're operating in daily life. Like you can hear all this information and still don't care and you want to eat meat. Hey, that's fine. I'll salute your choice. That's up to you. Again, it's not my job to change you. I just want you to be informed about your choices from a reliable source before you make a final decision. Now, again, this is just the beginning of the corruption of the medical and food industry, right? You're put on cholesterol lowering pills for the rest of your life. That's much more profitable if they were to tell you to eat broccoli because that reverses your heart disease. They can't make a profit off of you being healthy and there's no money to be made in broccoli. There is money to be made in pharmaceutical medical manufacturing. And that's why the total cost for treating heart disease is projected to rise to $818 billion by 2030. Do you have any idea how much money that is? If we got healthy, how much of this money could be put towards progressing the human race or countries, improving people's lives, sharing equality, or improving the different aspects of progression that make the world a better place? But see, that's the problem. There's no money in healthy people. There's no money for big pharma and big foods in healthy people. The real money lies in the treatment. And oftentimes you'll find it's a lifetime of treatment like they say. Millions of dollars on marketing, maliciously funded studies, and misinformation of the general public knowledge has made this way of thinking our normal. No one bats an eye when you say you're taking meds. But every time people find out that I don't eat meat, it's almost as if they've been shocked by a ghost for the first time. We need to break free from this conventional way of living and understand there is corruption at play. There is people who have profits over your health in mind. They want the shareholders monetary investment to be much greater than your health outcome. And this often stems to the fact that we say yes to the status quo. We say, okay, whatever everybody else is doing, that sounds fine by me. We never stop to question and say, why? What is this doing for me? How is this affecting my life? And how can I actually upgrade my life in a more natural, holistic, sustainable, and healthy way? And that's why after all the information we've covered today, we've looked at weight loss and diet. We've looked at disease and diet. Now, in the second part of this episode, I invite you to stay tuned. We're going to look at the corruption, lies, and inf- misinformation of the food and health industry. So stay tuned for that. It's coming out. And I want to say a big Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope I illuminated you on some of the problems and shifted your perspective about how much food is truly affecting your diet and life and health. So again, I'm Matt Celestial. Thank you for tuning into The Revive Effect. I'll see you in the second part of this episode coming out soon. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you stuck around to the end and I'm so grateful that you took the opportunity and your time to spend it here with me at The Revive Effect. So if you like what you heard today, please, I ask that you share this podcast with somebody who needs to hear the information, or even if you did like it, please subscribe, give us a like, give us a comment, even email us and tell us what you liked about the podcast. We appreciate you so much for tuning in. And if you like what you heard today, again, don't be afraid to visit our website, R-V-I-V-E official, reviveofficial.ca to learn more and keep up with all the latest and greatest things that we are doing today. If you are someone who is feeling insecure, they're unhappy, unhealthy, and stuck in fear, I've created the Revive Effect and my company Revive in order to transform you into somebody who is the fitter, healthier, happier you, who is more confident than they've ever been in their entire lives, and who is driven and hungry for growth every day and actually wakes up energized and happy. So give a look over to our website because that's where you're going to find all the latest and greatest information and tools and resources in order for you to attain that and make that vision of yours a reality. 
So I'm Matt Celestio. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you in a couple weeks here on the Revive Effect Podcast.